0: Welcome one, welcome all to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Friday, January 28th, 2022. I'm your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at NMPBS. We hope you've had a terrific week as we get ready to close out the first month of a new year. We've been hard at work this week with an eye definitely toward the roundhouse and the legislative session now underway. We did the State of the State for you. We've talked a lot about the governor's priorities. We're going to delve into those a little more in de- depth this week, a couple of those. And we're going to kick it off with the voting proposals, the election proposals that the governor and Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver are pushing for. We caught up with the Secretary of State this week with correspondent Gwyneth Doland. And they talked about a bunch of these different proposals. And there is a theme here, as you will see, in terms of most of the measures have to do with making it easier to vote. Whether you are a young person, whether you are a former uh, felon, whether or not you um, have already registered to vote. So many different ways that the Secretary of State and others are looking to make this an easier process and is that always a good thing? Lots of questions there that Gwyneth wanted to get into with Maggie Toulouse Oliver. Didn't have time for the full conversation in the show this week on New Mexico PBS but we do hear. so we're gonna bring you this full interview which also will even touch on uh, the other side of the coin which is voter integrity, uh, vote security, and where the Secretary of State is on that and what proposals she has in that area as well. So let's jump right into it with correspondent Gwenna Doland and Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver.
1: Thank you to New Mexico Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver for making time for us in your busy schedule. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we want to talk about some of the voting reforms that you and Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham have put out. Big picture. What is the problem that you're trying to solve here?
2: So big picture, what this legislation is trying to do is trying to send a message that there are still barriers to the ballot box. Even here in New Mexico, where we have wonderful voting laws, uh, we have one of the best election administration uh, processes in the nation. We're in the top 10. We do fantastic work here, but there are still people and places where it is hard to cast a ballot. And so the purpose of this legislation is to say, look, in this time where we are seeing voting rights being rolled backward uh, in many places across the country, and in this time where we're seeing our Congress unable to come together, and address some of these important issues, we are going to take the lead here in New Mexico to move this legislation, this kind of legislation forward.
1: So talking about uh, barriers to the ballot box, can you give us some specific examples of those barriers? Yeah, sure. Um, It's really
2: hard in a lot of our tribal communities and rural communities to get your mail uh, timely at your home address to make sure that you're uh, so if you're voting by mail to get that ballot timely, to mail that ballot back and and make sure it's received timely. We're trying to address that in some of these provisions. Um, It is hard for people to register to vote who don't already have a driver's license or state ID here in New Mexico. And you know, I, I think it's a very popular notion that pretty much everybody has one of those things Um, that's an otherwise eligible citizen, but that's not always the case. I mean, we have elderly folks and people with disabilities and, you know, people who just do not for whatever other reason have an ID. So we want to reduce that barrier for them. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges for our democracy is, is having more young people participate. And, and why that's a challenge and why it's important is because the future of our democracy depends on our citizen participation. We know that voting is habitual. The younger folks get registered and start participating in elections, the more likely they are to be lifelong voters and contributing uh, citizens in that way.
1: So one of the one of the perhaps the most controversial elements that you've got here is lowering the voting age to 16 uh, in some cases. And so is what you're saying, you, you know, that it's like a gateway drug <laughs> to voting, like you want to get them all their teenagers and get them hooked? Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
2: and and what a great gateway, right? We have a lot of negative ones. Um, Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, we have a generation of high school kids right now who are incredibly engaged and incredibly aware about the world around them. And one of the things they are incredibly aware of is the fact that, you know, school boards and decisions that are made at that level have a really meaningful impact on their daily lives. You know, whether it has to do with whether or not they wear masks to school or can even even physically go to school or not um, if you know members of the trans uh, and and queer community whether or not they can feel comfortable in their schools uh, folks who are concerned kids who are concerned about school you know guns in schools and violence at schools you know these are big decisions that impact them every day um, many of them have jobs they're paying gross receipts tax they're helping support their families uh, and 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 so it really I think would be meaningful for them to also have a say in these kinds of elections and again getting get them uh, to, you know, start becoming these, you know, habitual voters and these, you know, participating members of society as they move forward in life.
1: Now, you know, when it comes to other topics, we spend a lot of time talking about how 16-year-olds, 19-year-olds, their brains are not fully developed. I mean, there's a lot of 16-year-olds out there that can't be trusted to make a dentist appointment much less evaluate some complicated issues on the ballot, are 16 year olds really aware and connected and mature enough to be given this responsibility?
2: Well, I know a lot of forty-five-year-olds who can't make a dentist appointment. You know, I mean, that's the thing. I think, you know, as we've seen over time, um, the notion of who who can be a participating citizen in our democracy has continued to shift with the times. I mean, as you know, Gweneth, when our country was founded, only white men were considered, and those who owned property, you know, were considered to have enough sort of knowledge, experience, wisdom to be able to cast that ballot and elect our leaders. And of course, over time, um, the right to vote has been expanded to include, you know, all men and women, uh, regardless of their, you know, ethnic or gender background, Uh, you know, over the age of 18, we did not have a constitutional amendment to allow 18 year olds who who are going off to war, uh, and losing their lives for our democracy, they did not have the right to vote until the 70s, right. And so this is just sort of the next step in the potential expansion of our democracy. Um, And if nothing else, I think it's worth an important conversation. I do think that if a 16-year-old is aware enough to want to register to vote and participate in an election, have enough of an opinion uh, to want to get themselves to that polling place to vote, um, I think that that voice is important to be heard.
1: Now, in terms of expansions in this way, one of the elements here is giving voting rights back to felons after they've been released from prison. Um, What's the argument for that?
2: Well, it's a couple of things. First of all, right now we have a law on the books that says once you've completed the terms of your sentence that you automatically have your voting rights restored. The problem is it's not working automatically. Uh, The way the system works between uh, the voter registration rolls, the Department of Corrections, um, and the judicial districts, that information is not working the way that it should, we have a lot of people who should automatically have that right restored who are having to jump through additional hoops after they complete the terms of their sentence. So that's number one. Um, Number two, For many people to complete the terms of your sentence, there are fines and fees still to be paid. And in this country, we call that a poll tax. If you have to get out a checkbook and make a payment in order to be able to vote, that is unconstitutional and that's a problem. So what we're trying to do with this legislation is not only get rid of the constitutional issue, but streamline the administrative process. Uh, If you are incarcerated for a felony, you can't, you know, you are, you are losing, you know, your rights. Uh, you're, you're also incarcerated, right? So you can't move freely about society, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. But if you're out and you're trying to get your life back, uh, get back into society, and hopefully, you know, we don't want these folks to reoffend and go back through the system and the more part of society they feel we know the evidence shows they're less likely to do that and being a voter is part of that process.
1: You know, in terms of things that we know from, say, social science research, uh, you know, young people skew democratic, they lean more liberal, uh, felons, native voters, a lot of the groups that you're talking about expanding access to are people who historically vote democratic. Um, I mean, and plus straight party ticket voting, uh, we know is, I mean, You can make the argument. Republicans would say, oh, this is an obvious giveaway from the Democratic Party leadership to these down ballot candidates that nobody's ever heard of. All people have to do is push Democrat at the top and boom, everyone gets elected. No one on, you know, on the city level or county level is ever going to get elected, no matter how independent or moderate they are. Is this just a big Christmas gift, post-Christmas gift to Democrats?
2: No, I think that's a a really cynical way of looking at it. And it's a highly politicized way of looking at it. Because really, at the end of the day, what we're talking about is giving options to folks who are our neighbors, our friends, people who live in our communities, and we don't necessarily know how they're going to choose to vote. Unfortunately, you know, the way it's worked out in this country is that uh, folks who have tended to vote more democratic have been the folks who maybe are on the lower end of the economic spectrum uh, and who have more barriers and who have more difficulty in meeting the requirements or getting to a polling place or, you know, living in a a part of the state where it's easier to vote versus not. Um, And so I, I don't necessarily think that that is the truth, and I also think I think that there's a a really political lens that's being applied to this that begs the question of, well, if you think adding people to our process and expanding our democracy is bad for one particular political party or the other, I think that says more about the political party than it does about our democracy. I, I really think that when we look at voting, we need to look at the small D, right? Small D democracy who's participating, who's being allowed into the process and who isn't. And at the end of the day, um, how they vote at at the ballot box and and what party they associate with should be the last thing that we're concerned with.
1: Automatic voter registration. 20 states do this. And, And so effectively, you're at the MVD or you're interacting with a government agency. And instead of them having to ask you, do you want to register to vote? you have to say don't red right? you have to opt out instead of opting in uh, what's the difference
2: <laughs> well I think the difference is so we've done a lot of great work to really streamline the voter registration process at MVD over the years um, and now it is a very quick and easy process to get registered at the end of a transaction the problem is the end of a transaction is when everybody is trying to get out the door you know you you know I know MVD is doing a great job here in New Mexico of, of being a lot quicker a lot more efficient um, making the process a lot less um, difficult than it used to be but you know at the end of the day it's the last thing you have to do uh, before you leave the motor vehicle division with your license or with your registration and you know too often we're trying to cram these appointments in you know on a lunch hour on a break you know at the end of the day between leaving work and picking up kids from school so this is just another voter-friendly uh efficiency that will make life easier for folks. And if they don't want to be registered to vote, they don't have to be. Uh, They can still opt out of the process if that's what they so choose. But at least they won't have to, uh, you know, accidentally or unintentionally not register to vote because they're trying to meet the other demands of their lives.
1: And, you know, to play devil's advocate here, I mean, shouldn't registering to vote be something that requires one iota of effort i mean as you know less effort than picking up your kid from school or picking up the mail but you know is is it really that it shouldn't require anything at all you know it's an interesting question um, I think voter registration
2: is important you know we have a state in this country that doesn't even require voter registration you just show up to the polls and you vote you know you fill out a form and give your information so there is an argument to be made that we don't even need voter registration but I think the argument that uh, you know the, you should have to uh, jump through a hurdle in order to vote and we should make that hurdle more difficult i mean that's a slippery slope right where you know so how hard does it have to be to register to vote for you as a citizen to be making the appropriate amount of effort in order to do your civic duty and cast your ballot. I view it as the job of the government to make that process as simple and easy as possible. We should be reducing barriers to the ballot box, encouraging that civic democratic participation, particularly for people who, uh, you know, really find it hard to fit all of these things into a day when they have so much else going on in their lives.
1: And as you were talking there, I was thinking about going to vote. I, I think I went to the polls once in the in, during the pandemic, but I, I think I've also voted by mail preferably, right? So, yes. you know, one of the things that you're talking about here is um, giving people more time to send and receive their absentee ballots. Did this come about because of the pandemic it, or, or is this, I mean, how much time do people really need? Yeah, you know, you're asking a question that, um, as we came together as a
2: leadership team, you know, myself, the governor, um, our legislative leadership, we really took a close look at that. We've got a couple of different pieces of legislation moving through the process right now, and one of them is addressing those timeframes that we did have temporarily during 2020. Um, we took a look at that, and and what we were able to do is say, you know what. Um, The timeframes that we had in 2020 really worked for the voters here in New Mexico. We didn't necessarily need to extend that time on the back end. We had very, very, very few, less than one ballot Per county that was still outstanding after 7 p.m. on election day. Um, so we did make actually a decision not to include that expanded time frame. We, we still have expanded time frames for our overseas and military voters. That is very important uh, because we know it does take a while to get the mail when you're overseas. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we're going to still be good with the process we have now as long as uh, you can drop a ballot off uh, at a convenient dropbox uh, near you or in your county and don't have to rely on that mail service.
1: And what about expanding, uh, expanding early voting? Uh, that's
2: another piece that we just we took a look and we said you know what um, what we are doing here in New Mexico is working for New Mexicans. We talked with county clerks um, you know again we did not have a lot of issues of folks not being able to make we have that twenty. 28 full days of early voting uh, at clerk's offices and, and uh, two weeks at the end of the process at satellite locations. So there have been, you know, some streamlining decisions made on some of these policies as we head into, you know, hearing these bills in the legislative process.
1: So today uh, you released a report uh, done by political science professor Lana Atkison, no stranger to our program about voter attitudes in the 2020 election. Can you give us a, an idea of some of the, the major points? I mean, the, you paid for this, the professor did it. What did she find?
2: You know, it's a very uh, robust report. And, you know, Professor Akison and I have been working on this uh, this report for many years. She did the first one in 2006 before I became county clerk in Bernalillo County. We did it every election. I was county clerk in Bernalillo County. And now we've done it again statewide um, since I've been in this office. We have this rich, robust, you know, time series of information and, and the kinds of things that, that she and her team have been looking at, you know, have been taking a really a 360 degree view of the election process. So, you know, going into polling places, how, how is it actually working uh, as voters come in to vote, watching poll official training, and then of course interviewing uh, random samples of voters, uh, you know, before and after the election process. Um, what we have found over time, or I should say what she has found over time, and, and what I have learned <laughs> over time, is voter confidence has continued to improve here in New Mexico, but the key to that has been that every time we do one of these evaluations and find out, you know, voters, really liked this or maybe they had to wait too long in line or, you know, uh, maybe this process didn't work really well for them. We've gotten recommendations back. We've been able to make uh, changes to the process that are reflective uh, of that feedback. And
1: I think that's continued to improve. So um, let and me so we see that. They told you they just want to do it on their phone. Why can't I just do this? Can I just <laughs> text it? <laughs> Can I just text Everybody my vote?
2: Wants to vote on their phone. <laughs> you know that is something that pops up a lot, and of course, the reality is we just don't we don't have a secure internet. We're not there yet with the technology, but we're trying to do everything else we can for voters online. We do have high voter confidence in New Mexico. What I will say is, this last twenty twenty election, um, a lot of questions have come up about the election process uh, that are are sowing doubt uh, about the integrity of elections. So one thing we learned is that about a third of voters don't know that their ballot is completely private. Uh, nobody knows how you vote, not, not a poll official, not a county clerk, not an absentee ballot team member. So one of the things we did really learn is we have work to do to make sure voters know exactly how elections work in the state, everything we're doing to ensure the integrity of the process um, and uh, you know, what will make them feel more confident if they knew we were doing that.
1: And, and you know, this is a serious issue. People are concerned about the integrity of elections. People are concerned about the security of elections, um, you know. But we didn't talk about any of that a minute ago. And your proposal is all about expanding access. Are you proposing anything in terms of election security? Yeah, well, the funny thing is that
2: we've been way ahead of the game in election security and integrity here in New Mexico. Since 2008, we've been conducting post-election audits. That's one of the main reasons we moved to an all-paper ballot system in 2006. We have tons of uh, robust security built into the process already. One of the pieces of legislation that's moving through the election process this year, uh, it's called the Election Security and Administration Bill. It's Senate Bill Six, Um, It does does continue to tweak our processes and improve them. One of the things it's going to do is require county clerks uh, to do an audit of uh, absentee ballots as they're coming in, uh, just to make sure that uh, that information that's on the ballot is accurate and correct. Um, We're adding to our post election process every single statewide election, not just the general election here in New Mexico, and we're going to ensure that every county has to audit at least one precinct. Uh, uh, Right now the way it works is there's a random sample of precincts and you know maybe your county gets a precinct selected maybe it doesn't and so for we're going to ensure that at least somewhere in every county uh, gets audited so that we can just sort of add to that process that back-end process of ensuring the accuracy and integrity of the election. There's a ton more I could you know talk talk you and I both sick um, but those are a few of the things that we're doing in that bill.
1: Well, thank you for giving us this update on what your proposals are and on the research. We really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much for having
2: me. It's a pleasure.
0: So lots, lots and lots in that voting package. We'll continue to track that here uh, with you guys in the podcast, on social media. We're there wherever you are, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Facebook, you name it, you can find us there. We'll be keeping you up to date. Also want to make you aware that we have started uh, three podcasts a week in our collaboration with KUNM Radio. It's called Your New Mexico Government, or YNMG, Kave Mahawit of KUNM, keeping you up to date on all kinds of goings-on in the Roundhouse, including... One of the bills you've probably heard about uh, for sure, it's gaining a lot of headlines, and that is Representative Rebecca Dow and her bill to ban critical race theory in classrooms. Not gaining much traction there, and there's a lot of good reasons why that will probably be the case, and you can learn more about that in one of the latest editions of that, and you can head to newmexicoandfocus.org. Uh, to uh, catch up on all those podcasts. And we encourage you to sign up for the Your New Mexico Government podcast. All right, sticking back on the voting issues, we want to turn it over to this week's line opinion panel for their thoughts on these proposals and their potential outcomes in the legislature. Joining us this week on the line, we have a couple regulars uh, both former state senators on other sides of the aisle, we've got D.D. Feldman and Diane Snyder. And joining them, he made his debut with our year-ender last year of the top stories of 2021, Las Cruces Sun News reporter Algernon Massa. He is a terrific guest. We're glad we were able to get him back, talk about some of these topics this week week so here it is with host gene grant and their take on the package of voting reform issues
3: thanks to gwyneth dolan and secretary of state toulouse oliver let's get into some of those topics with our line opinion panel this week we're joined by two former state senators democrat dd feldman and republican diane snyder we want to welcome Algernon damasa from the las cruces sun news back to the show thank you all for being here All right, the Secretary of State made it clear the main objectives of this package of reforms are increasing access while maintaining integrity. Now, Senator Feldman, let's start with your initial impressions of the proposals and would they accomplish those objectives?
4: Um, Well, first, just let me say um, in full disclosure that I. uh, Common Cause New Mexico is one of my clients, mm-hmm. and they are in full support of this bill. Okay, but my opinions are my own. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is great timing for this bill um, because um, you know with the anniversary of uh, January sixth and uh, the uh, what's happening around the country to curtail voting rights mm-hmm. and override the. Uh, the will of the electorate in, in many states by legislators um, this is a, another expansion of the fra- of opportunities for voting and in fact the franchise um, as well as uh, strengthening uh, election integrity and uh, security mm-hmm. So it's it, it uh, has been pared down from its original proposal uh, but it still includes, a lot of great things that um, facilitate voting for um, folks that have had bureaucratic hassles mm-hmm. uh, before, uh, namely felons and um, and people who can't quite uh, uh, complete their um, vote by mail thing mm-hmm. or uh, or can't. REGISTER AUTOMATICALLY AT A STATE AGENCY, THIS this FACILITATES THAT. Uh, IT CREATES A PERMANENT, this, AND THIS IS SOMETHING THAT I, I LIKE, uh, IT CREATES A PERMANENT LIST. IF YOU WANT TO ALWAYS RECEIVE AN ABSENTEE BALLOT, FOR EXAMPLE, mm-hmm. YOU COULD GET IT BY REQUESTING ONCE RATHER THAN TIME AFTER TIME AFTER TIME, WHICH CREATES BUREAUCRATIC HASSLES at the, AT THE CLERK'S OFFICES. Mm-hmm. SO um, I, THEY USED TO HAVE THIS, I THINK, IN BERNALILLO COUNTY FOR ALL SENIOR CITIZENS OVER ah, 65. OKAY. Um, AND ANOTHER THING THAT'S IN THERE THAT I THINK IS REALLY GREAT FOR CANDIDATES IS um, ELECTRONIC uh, SIGNATURE uh, SUBMISSION. Mm-hmm. AND THEY'RE DOING THIS NOW IN uh, BERNALILLO COUNTY WHERE um, INSTEAD OF PAPER petitions that have to be submitted to the county clerk and verified uh through the clerk's office you can uh you can submit it uh, online Uh, individuals can submit their signatures online for certain candidates and then they can be verified much more easily with voter registration Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of really good uh streamlining things here um uh, a couple of things have been taken out. Mm-hmm. The straight party line voting has been taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, as have some of the early voting and absentee uh, absentee counting absentee voter votes after the election. Right. Um, and extending the um, early voting to Sundays was also taken out, which I I. I I WOULD HAVE PREFERRED THAT mm-hmm. THEY CONTINUE THROUGH SUNDAY. I THINK IT WOULD BE MORE CONVENIENT. to. AND THE IDEA HERE IS TO INCREASE VOTER TURNOUT. THAT'S RIGHT. TO um, to ALLOW MORE PEOPLE TO VOTE SAFELY AND LEGITIMATELY. AND um, <coughs> I THINK THAT'S A REALLY WORTHWHILE mm-hmm. uh, PATH.
3: Mm-hmm. LET'S TAKE A, a COUPLE OF uh, CUTS AT THIS THAT ARE IN THIS PROPOSAL. Uh, Algernon, THE BIG TALKER, OF COURSE, uh, YOU'VE BEEN HEARING OF THIS A LOT, IS LOWERING THE VOTING AGE TO AGE uh, 16. SOME OBVIOUS QUESTIONS WHICH GWYNETH BROUGHT UP. BUT DO YOU AGREE WITH THE SECRETARY AT ALL THAT MAKING THIS AN OPTION FOR OLDER TEENS IS A NATURAL PROGRESSION IN EXPANDING THOSE VOTING RIGHTS?
5: WELL, I'M NOT GOING TO TAKE A POSITION Mm -hmm. ON WHETHER THIS PROPOSAL PASSES OR NOT, BUT I THINK IT RAISES SOME REALLY INTERESTING AND WORTHWHILE QUESTIONS ABOUT WHO IS A CITIZEN? WHAT ARE THE GROUNDS FOR GRANTING SOMEONE A VOICE? Mm -hmm. 16-YEAR-OLDS WORK IN FACT PEOPLE YOUNGER THAN THAT CAN ENTER THE WORKFORCE THEY CAN PAY TAXES THEY'RE OF COURSE SUBJECT TO THE DECISIONS Mm. THAT GROWNUPS MAKE
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
5: SO-CALLED GROWNUPS 16-YEAR-OLDS OF MY ACQUAINTANCE HAVE ENROLLED IN JUNIOR EMT PROGRAMS THEY uh, PARTICIPATE IN DUAL CREDIT PROGRAMS WHERE THEY'RE ACTUALLY STARTING COLLEGE WHILE THEY'RE STILL IN HIGH SCHOOL RIGHT Um, I think that it's interesting when these conversations come up and what are the first images of 16-year-olds that you hear about? Do people bring up the lazy 16-year-old stereotype who doesn't want to do anything and can't be trusted to uh, make decisions about who their city councilor is? Mm -hmm. Or do you get people talking about the 16-year-olds they know who are capable, functioning, Participating members of the
3: society Mm -hmm. who deserve to be heard. Let me ask you a question, Alan Janon, and and Senator Snyder, you can pick up on this as well. Is there not a danger, however, when you have someone with that little life experience under their belt that they're susceptible to manipulation? They're susceptible to, you know, the kind of manipulation manipulation that happens in politics. You don't really know a lot of things, be able to parse your way through lies and this and other thing. I mean, honestly, can you really do that at 16 years old?
5: Um, ARE THEY MORE OR LESS LIKELY TO STORM A CAPITOL BUILDING IF THEIR CANDIDATE LOSES? Um, <laughs> YOU KNOW, I MEAN, THESE ARE ALL, YOU KNOW, MANIPULATION AND, and BELIEVING PROPAGANDA. I mm-hmm. MEAN, what WHAT IS THE MAGICAL THRESHOLD WHERE WE IMAGINE PEOPLE ARE IMPERVIOUS TO THESE INFLUENCES? GOOD POINTS. AND I THINK REALLY THE CONVERSATION ISN'T HOW, YOU KNOW, WHAT mm-hmm. YEAR OF BIRTH IS PRINTED ON YOUR BIRTH CERTIFICATE. I THINK IT'S REALLY um, HOW DO WE PREPARE PEOPLE FROM CHILDHOOD THROUGH ADULTHOOD IN TERMS OF THE FOUNDATIONAL IDEAS OF HOW OUR SOCIETY IS SUPPOSED TO WORK, mm-hmm. WHAT OUR VALUES ARE, WHAT what OUR UNDERSTANDING IS OF CIVIC INSTITUTIONS AND PROCEDURES. Mm-hmm. AND uh, um, AS A 16-YEAR-OLD INCAPABLE OF UNDERSTANDING ALL OF THAT, uh, uh, SOME PROBABLY ARE NOT PREPARED OR INTERESTED OR CURIOUS, BUT uh, IN TERMS OF BEING ABLE TO LOOK AROUND THEIR WORLD AND REPORT WHAT THEY SEE, and, and, AND PERHAPS TICK A BOX FOR A CANDIDATE. I, I, I DON'T KNOW THAT A 16-YEAR-OLD IS COGNITIVELY INCAPABLE OF PARTICIPATING IN THAT IF THEY WANT TO. Right. BUT HONESTLY, I THINK CIVIC PREPARATION AS WELL AS VOTER
3: PARTICIPATION IS AN ISSUE THAT SPANS AGE. INTERESTING POINTS THERE. Uh, SENATOR Snyder. THE SECRETARY OF STATE'S OFFICE ALSO RELEASED A STUDY ON VOTER ATTITUDES AFTER THE 2020 GO. SHE SAYS THE RHETORIC SURROUNDING SECURITY DID ADD TO CONCERNS AMONG VOTERS, BUT THAT TRUST IN THE SYSTEM IS STILL PRETTY HIGH. IS THERE MORE TO BE DONE TO ASSURE THE PUBLIC THAT, YOU KNOW, WE HAVE A SAFE AND EFFECTIVE SYSTEM? OR IS JUST WHO SHE IS and THE PARTY SHE REPRESENTS JUST GOING TO HAVE A NATURAL, YOU KNOW, LITTLE CONFLICT POINT THERE about ON THESE THINGS?
6: Uh, I THINK SEVERAL POINTS ALONG THOSE mm-hmm. LINES. I THINK THERE'S ALWAYS GOING TO BE Partisan conflicts. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's always going to be anytime you change a law. Uh, one of the things that kind of struck me, just a couple of things in, in the bill, we mentioned the age. Right. I, it, as you recall, the reason we lowered the age from 21 to 18 was because of the Vietnam War. Right. And if we could send our young men at that time off to die in the swamps of Vietnam, then they should have the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't exactly see a comparison or a similar kind of occasion right now. It really brings up though, to me, how do you, as, as a candidate, how do you reach those young people? Mm-hmm. And one of the great programs we have, and I hope they still do it in the legislature, is they have a program for you from the National Conference of State Legislatures where you can go into your schools AND TALK ABOUT THE ELECTIVE PROCESS, HOW A BILL PASSES. WELL, IF YOU'RE GOING IN AND DOING THAT, IS THAT NOT CAMPAIGNING? AND I DON'T Uh, WANT THAT TO GO AWAY. I THINK THAT IS SO IMPORTANT. AND I THINK THE CIVICS EDUCATION THAT ALDERDON MENTIONED, incredibly IMPORTANT. AND SO I'M KIND OF GOING, WELL, IF WE DO THE FIRST STEP FIRST, IF WE GO BACK AND WE MAKE SURE THAT WE HAVE CIVICS CLASSES, THAT WE TEACH OUR YOUNG PEOPLE Mm -hmm. ABOUT THE PROCESS. IT'S OUR RESPONSIBILITY TO EDUCATE THEM. I THINK BEFORE WE MOVE THE VOTE DOWN AND JUST THROW THEM OUT IN IT, I KNOW LOTS OF 16-YEAR-OLDS THAT I WOULD TRUST COMPLETELY. Mm-hmm. BUT I HAVE KNOWN A FEW, AS MAGGIE SAID, A FEW that OLDER that EVEN THAT I WOULDN'T WANT <laughs> VOTING AT 16. Mm-hmm. Um, THE OTHER THING IS THE FELONS. Um, right. IT SAYS uh, UNTIL THEY HAVE COMPLETED THEIR um, Whatever they're whatever, uh, incarceration, where does that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, incarceration. Mm-hmm. Does that they are completed their service? What they're supposed to do? Where do you throw in uh, a parole? A lot of felons stay on parole for many times right. years after, or not years, but sometimes. Sure. There's also the issue: what address do they use? Do they, you know while they're going through the parole? And, and period. If they're in a halfway house or that's something, right. but, so I think there are just little things that go along with this that haven't been answered in my mind. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that we always go with the big items mm-hmm. uh, when we're discussing a bill, and that's what you see covered. But one of the things that's in uh, Senate Bill uh, Six, and there are two big election bills in the Senate, Six and Eight. Well, in Six, it does away. No, let me rephrase that. Right now, the monitors and oversight people are appointed, are recruited and appointed by their respective political party. Indeed, if I'm not using the right term for that, let me know. But this bill would take it out of their hands and it would become, you would have to go through the Secretary of State's office, as I understand it, to be able to be, provide that oversight. Well, that's kind of defeating the purpose OF WHAT YOU'RE SUPPOSED TO BE DOING. AND THEY'RE THERE, BOTH THE DEMOCRATS AND REPUBLICANS. Mm -hmm. AND I THINK WE HAVE HAD SOME GREENS IN A COUPLE OF YEARS. BUT WHAT HAPPENS WHEN WE HAVE BIG BILLS WHERE THERE ARE BIG ISSUES, THERE ARE SO MANY LITTLE THINGS THAT WE MISS GOING ALONG. THAT'S RIGHT. I LEARNED...
3: learned SENATOR, CAN I I ASK SENATOR... uh, uh, OUR our OTHER SENATOR WITH US TO to REACT (laughs) TO THAT? AND we GOT TO MOVE ON, UNFORTUNATELY. Um, yeah,
4: sorry. That's all right. Yeah. That's all right. I think I think what's actually in the bill let me just clarify a little bit okay. is that it requires training by the okay. Secretary of State for for these poll workers and it requires disqualification of poll workers who have been uh, abusive or problematic in the past.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Interesting points Thank there. You. Guys, yeah. you can watch our full interview with Secretary of State Toulouse Oliver on our website at org, or stream anytime on the PBS video app.
0: We've got much more from that Line Opinion panel on our next episode coming out on Monday including conversations about the governor's pitch to make New Mexico a hydrogen hub. What exactly does that mean? And uh, what are the chances for that to happen with some legislative help in the next three weeks? So we'll be talking about that. We will also hear... More uh, background and information about some of the tax cuts and tax issues that we have talked about, including a GRT uh, tax cut for the first time in many, many decades, Social Security tax cut, uh, lots of things going on in the tax realm, and we are catching up with Richard Anklum of the Tax Research Institute that's coming up next time. And just a look at some of the political wrangling, maneuvering that we are seeing on full display already in the legislative session. So lots coming your way. Again, a reminder, a new episode of the podcast, YNMG, your New Mexico government, should be out this weekend as well with Kave Mahawood of KUNM. We'll have much more legislative coverage there. Until next time, though, stay safe and stay healthy.